Hi, and welcome to Sleep Tight Relax. A short message for grown-ups. If you get value from our podcast and would like to support the work we do, please consider subscribing to Sleep Tight Premium. You'll get access to all episodes of the Sleep Tight Relax and Sleep Tight Stories podcasts ad-free and to other subscriber-only content, including bonus episodes, guided meditations, and long, dialogue-free sleep sounds. That's four sleep stories a week, plus our popular music and soundscape episodes. Please visit sleeptightpremium.com to subscribe or follow the link in our show notes. Thank you. Hi there. Welcome to this episode of Sleep Tight Relax, the podcast where we help you prepare to drift calmly off to sleep by listening to the calming sounds of nature, soothing music, and rich sleep stories. If you like shorter sleep stories, we have another podcast called Sleep Tight Stories which publishes twice-weekly episodes, usually less than 20 minutes in length. It's geared towards younger listeners, but older listeners find it relaxing too. You can search for Sleep Tight Stories wherever you find great podcasts or follow the link in our show notes. In this episode, Cheryl is going to read chapters 1 and 2 of The Campfire Girls of Roselawn by Margaret Penrose. In this story, two girls, friend and neighbors, are starting summer vacation. Jessie is fascinated with the radio. She is determined to have one in her own house. Jess tells Drew all about it and they both decide to head to town to find more information about setting one up in their own house. On the way to town, they hear a call for help and they need to decide what they should do. Before we continue with tonight's episode, let's first make sure you have a suitable environment for comfort. When I get ready for sleep, I like to try to ensure that my bedroom is as dark, quiet and cool as possible. So take a moment to get yourself situated in your bed and lie on your back. Position your pillows or your other little comforts to make sure that everything feels as it should. 
as you have settled into a comfortable position, stretch out your body and let any tension of the day disappear and just relax. Take a big breath in through your nose and fill your lungs. At the same time, let's do a great big stretch, reaching as far as you can with your hands and your feet. Now, as you breathe out through your mouth, release the tension and let everything go soft. Feel as though your arms and legs are soft and floppy. Relax your face and let go of any tension in your forehead, between your eyebrows, your neck, and your throat. Feel your eyelids grow heavy, letting them shut with an effortless release. Feel free to repeat this relaxation exercise as often as you feel comfortable. I hope you enjoy tonight's sleep story and have a restful sleep. It's wonderful, Amy. Just wonderful. The blonde girl in the porch swing looked up with shining eyes and flushed face from her magazine to look at the dark girl who swung composedly in a rocking chair, her nimble fingers busy with the knitting of a shoulder scarf. The dark girl bobbed her head in agreement. So's the Sphinx, but it's awfully out of date, Jess. Jessie Norwood looked offended. Did I ever bring your attention, Miss Drew? Why don't you say Drew to my attention? Murmured the other girl. Because I perfectly loathe puns, declared Jessie with energy. Good. Miss Seymour's favorite pupil. Go on about the wonderful beast, Jess. It is no beast, I'd have you understand. And it is right up to date, the very newest thing. My dear Jessie, urged her chum gaily, you have tickled my curiosity until it positively wriggles. What is the wonder? Radio. Oh, wireless? Wireless telephone, everyone is having one. Grandma used to prescribe sulfur and molasses for that. Do be sensible for once, Amy Drew. You and Derry. That reminds me. 
Jerry knows all about it. About what? The radio telephone business. You know, he was 18 months on a destroyer in the war, even if he was only a kid. You know, said Amy, giggling, he says that if women's ages are always elastic, it was no crime for him to stretch his age when he enlisted. Anyhow, he knows all about the listening boxes down in the hold, and that is all this radio is. Oh, but Amy, cried Jessie with a toss of her blonde head. That is old stuff. The radio of today is very different, much improved. Anybody can have a receiving set and hear the most wonderful things out of the air. It has been brought to every home. Have you a little radio in your home? Chuckled Amy, her fingers still flying. Oh, dear me, Amy, you are so difficult, sighed her chum. Not at all, not at all, replied the other girl. You can understand me just as easy. But you know, Jess, I have to act as a break for your exuberance. Don't care, declared Jessie. I'm going to have one. Well, if Cook isn't looking, bring me one too, suggested the irrepressible joker. I mean to have a radio set repeated Jessie quite seriously. It says in this magazine article that one can erect the aerials and all oneself and place the instrument. I am going to do it. Sure you can, declared Amy with confidence. If you said you could rebuild the Alps and improve on them, I'd root for you, honey. I don't want any of your joking declared Jessie with emphasis. I am in earnest. So am I, about the Alps. Aunt Susan, who went over this year, says the traveling there is just as rough as it was before the war. She doesn't see that the war did any good. If I were you, Jess, and thought of making over the Alps, now, Amy Drew, who said anything about the Alps? I did, confessed her chum, and I was about to suggest that if you tackle the job of rebuilding them, you flatten them out a good bit so Aunt Susan can get across them easier. Amy Drew, will you ever have sense? What is it, a conundrum? Something about take care of the dollars and the cents will take care of themselves? I am talking about installing a radio set in our house. And if you don't stop funning and help me do it, I won't let you listen in. So there. I'll be good, proclaimed Amy at once. I enjoy gossip just as much as the next one. And if you can get it out of the air, it has to be sent from a broadcasting station, announced Jessie. There's one right in this town, declared Amy with vigor. No, 
Yes, I tell you, she lives in the second house from the corner of Breen Street, the yellow house with the green lights. Now, Amy, listen here. Never mind local gossips. They only broadcast neighborhood news. But we can get concerts and weather reports and lectures. Amy painfully writhed in her chair at this point. Say not so, Jess, she begged. I get lectures enough at school and from Dad once in a while when the deer thinks I go too far. I think you go too far most of the time, declared her chum primly. Nobody else would have the patience with you that I have. Except Bird Alling, announced Amy composedly. He thinks I am all right. Ugh! Whoever said Bird Alling had good sense, demanded Jessie. Now listen. She read a long paragraph from the magazine article. You see, it is the very latest thing to do. Everybody is doing it. And it is the most wonderful thing. Amy had listened with more seriousness. She could be attentive and appreciative if she wished. The paragraph her chum read was interesting. Go ahead, read some more, she said. Is that all sure enough, Jess? Of course it is so. Don't you see it is printed here? You mustn't believe everything you see in print, Jess. My grandfather was reported killed in the Civil War, and he came home and pointed out several things they had got wrong in the newspaper obituary, especially the date of his demise. Now this, I am going to get a book about it, and that will tell us just what to do in getting a radio set established. I'll tell you the first thing to do, scoffed Amy. Dig down into your pocketbook. It won't cost much, but I mean to have a good one. All right, dear, I am with you. Never let it be said I deserted Pole. What is the first move? Now, let me see, murmured Jessie, staring off across the sun-flecked lawn. The Norwood estate was a grand place. The house, with its surrounding porches, stood in Rose Lawn upon a knoll with several acres of sloping sod surrounding it and a lovely little lake at the side. There was a long rose garden on either side of the house and the group of summer roses in front. Roses, roses, roses. Everywhere about the place. The Norwoods all loved them. But there were more roses in this section of the pretty town of New Melford, and on that account, many inhabitants of the place had gotten into the habit of calling the estates bordering the boulevard by the name of Roselawn. It was the Roselawn district 
for every lawn was dotted with roses. Red, pink, white, and yellow. The Norwoods were three. Jessie we put first because to us she is of the most importance, and her father and mother would agree. Being the only child, it is true they made much of her, but Jessie Norwood was too sweet to be easily spoiled. Her father was a lawyer in New York, which was 20 miles from New Melford. The Norwoods had some wealth, which was good. They had culture, which was better. And they were a very loving and companionable trio, which was best. Across the broad, shaded boulevard was a great, rambling old house with several broad chimneys. It had once been a better-class farmstead. Mr. Wilbur Drew, who was likewise a lawyer, had rebuilt and added to and improved and otherwise transformed the farmhouse until it was an attractive and important-looking dwelling. In it lived the lawyer and his wife, his daughter Amy, and Darrington Drew when he was home from college. This was another happy family, in a way. Yet they were just a little different from the Norwoods, but truly nice people. When Amy Drew once gave her mind to a thing, she could be earnest enough. The little her chum had read her from the magazine article began to interest her. Besides, whatever Jessie was engaged in must, of necessity, hold the attention of Amy. She laid aside the knitting and went to sit beside Jessie in the swing. They turned back to the beginning of the article and read it through together. Their arms wound about each other in innocent schoolgirl fashion. Of course, as Amy pointed out, they were not exactly schoolgirls now. They were out of school since two days before. The long summer vacation was ahead of them. Time might hang idly on their hands, so it behooved them to find something absorbing to keep their attention keyed up to the proper pitch. Tell you what, Amy suggested. Let's go downtown to the bookstore and see if they have laid in a stock of this radio stuff. We want one or two of the books mentioned here, Jess. We are two awfully smart girls. I know we will both admit it, but some things we have positively got to learn. Silly, crooned Jessie, patting her chum on the cheek. Let's go. We'll walk. Wait till I run and see if Mumsy doesn't want something from downtown. We won't ask Mrs. Drew that question, for she will be pretty sure to want a dozen things. And I refuse, positively, to be a dray horse. 
I have drew more than my share from the stores already. Jessie scarcely listened to this. She ran in and ran out again. She was smiling. Momsey says all she wants is two George Washington Sundays to be brought home in two separate parcels, one blonde and one brunette. And she held up half a dollar before Amy's eyes. Your mother, as I have always said, Jess, is one of the salt of the earth, and she is well sugared too. Let me carry the half dollar. You'll swallow it or lose it or something. Aren't to be trusted yet with money. And Amy marched down the steps in the lead. She always took the lead and usually acted as though she were the moving spirit of the pair. But really, Jessie Norwood was the more practical, and it was usually her initiative that started the chums on the new thing, and always her stick that carried them through to the end. Bonwit Boulevard, beautifully laid out shaded with elms, with a grass path in the middle, two oiled drives, and with a bridle path on one side, was one of the finest highways in the state. At this hour of the afternoon, before the return rush of the auto commuters from the city, the road was almost empty. The chums chatted of many things as they went along, but Jessie came back each time to radio. She had been very much interested in the wonder of it and in the possibility of rigging the necessary aerials and setting up a receiving set at her own house. We can get the books to tell us how to do it and we can buy the wire for the antenna today, she said. Antenna? Is it an insect? demanded Amy. Sounds crawly. Those are the aerials. Shh, listen, interrupted Amy Drew. A sound, a shrill and compelling voice reached their ears. Amy's hand clutched at Jessie's arm and held her back. There was nobody in sight and the nearest house was some way back from the road. What is it? murmured Jessie. Help! Help! repeated the voice shrilly. Radio! muttered Amy. It is a voice out of the air! There positively was nobody in sight. But Jessie Norwood was practical, she knew there was a street branching off the boulevard just a little way ahead. Besides, she heard the throbbing of an automobile engine. Help! shrieked the unknown once more. It's a girl, declared Jessie, beginning to run and half dragging Amy Drew with her. She's in trouble. We must help her. Like a great many other beautiful streets, there was a poverty-stricken section 
if sparsely inhabited, just behind Bonwit Boulevard. A group of shacks and squatters' huts down in a grassy hollow, with a little brook flowing through it to the lake, and woods beyond. But at the moment, Jessie Norwood and her friend, Amy, darted around from the broad boulevard into the narrow lane that led down to this poor hamlet. Neither of the girls remembered Dogtown, as the group of huts was locally called. The real estate men who exploited Rose Lawn and Bonwit Boulevard as the most aristocratic suburban section of New Melford never spoke of Dogtown. What do you suppose is the matter, Jess? panted Amy. It's a girl in trouble. Look at that! The friends did not have to go even as far as the brow of the hill overlooking the group of houses before mentioned. The scene of the action of this drama was not a hundred yards off the boulevard. A big, touring car stood in the narrow lane, headed toward the broad highway from which Jessie and Amy had come. It was a fine car, and the engine was running. A very unpleasant-looking, narrow-shouldered woman sat behind the steering wheel, but was twisted around in her seat so that she could look behind her. In the lane was another woman. Both were expensively dressed, though not tastefully. And this second woman was as billowy and as generously proportioned as the one behind the wheel was lean. She was red-faced, too, and panting from her exertions. Those exertions, it was evident at once to Jessie and Amy, were connected with the capturing and the subsequent restraining of a very active and athletic girl of about the same age as the other girls. She was quite as red-faced as the fleshy woman, and she was struggling with all her might to get away, while now and then she emitted a shout for help that would have brought a crowd in almost no time in any place more closely built up Oh, what is the matter? repeated Amy. Bring her along, Martha, exclaimed the woman already in the motor car. Here come a couple of rubbernecks. This expression, to Jessie's mind, marked the driver of the automobile for exactly what she was. Nor did the face of the fat woman impress the girls as being any more refined. As for the girl struggling with the second woman, the one called Martha, she was not very well dressed. But she looked neat and clean, and she certainly was determined not to enter the automobile if she could help it. Jessie doubted, although she had at first thought it possible, if either of these women were related to the girl they seemed so determined to capture. What are they? Road pirates? Kidnappers? 
demanded Amy. What? The two friends stopped by the machine. They really did not know what to do. Should they help the screaming girl? Or should they help the fleshy woman? It might be that the girl had run away from perfectly good guardians. Only to Jessie's mind, there was something of the refinement that pertained to the girl lacking in the appearance of these two women. She was not favorably impressed by them. What is the matter with the girl? She asked the woman in the car. Although she said it politely, the woman flashed her a scowling glance and said, Mind your own business. My, gasped Amy at this, her eyes opening very wide. Jessie was not at all reassured. She turned to the fleshy woman and repeated her question. What is the matter with the girl? She's crazy, that's what she is, cried the woman. She doesn't know what's good for her. I'll learn her, rasped out the driver of the car. Don't, shouted the girl. Don't let them take me back there. Just then, the fleshy woman got behind her. She clutched the girl's shoulder and drove her harshly toward the car with her whole weight behind the girl. The other woman jumped out of the car, seized the girl by one arm, and together the women fairly threw their captive into the back seat of the car, where she fell on her hands and knees. There, spiteful, gasped the lean woman. I'll show you. She hopped back behind the steering wheel. The fleshy woman climbed into the back seat and held the still shrieking girl. The car started with a dash, the door of the car flapping. Oh, this isn't right, gasped Jessie. They are running away with her, Jess, murmured Amy. Isn't it exciting? It's mean, declared her friend with conviction. How dare they? Why, to look at her... I think that skinny woman would dare anything, remarked Amy, and haven't you seen her before? Never. She doesn't live around here, and that car is strange. The car had turned into the boulevard and headed out of town. When the girls walked back to the broad highway, it was out of sight. It was being driven with small regard for the speed laws. I guess you are right, reflected Amy. I never saw that car before. It is a French car, but that woman's face? There was enough of that to remember, declared Jessie quite spitefully. I don't mean the fat woman's face, giggled Amy. I mean that other woman's face looked familiar. Maybe I have seen her picture somewhere. If my face was like hers, I'd never have it photographed snapped Jessie. How vinegarish, said Amy. Well, it was funny. You do find humor in the strangest things, returned her friend. I guess that poor girl didn't think it was funny. Of course, they had some right to her, Amy declared. How do you know they did? They did not act so, returned the more thoughtful Jessie. 
If they had really the right to make the poor girl go with them, they would not have acted in such haste, nor answered me the way they did. Well, of course, it wasn't any of our business either to ask questions or to interfere, Amy declared. I don't know about that, Amy, rejoined her friend. I wish your brother had been here, or somebody. Dari? scoffed Amy. Or maybe Bird Alling, and Jessie's eyes twinkled. Well, considered Amy demurely, I suppose the boys might have known better what to do. Oh, said Jessie promptly. I knew what to do, all right, only I couldn't do it. What is that? stopped the women and made them explain before we allowed them to take the girl away. And I wonder where she was going. Where and when did she run away from the women? Did you hear her beg us not to let them take her back? Back? Back where? That is it, exactly, sighed Jessie, as the two of them walked on toward town. She did not tell us where. Some institution, maybe. An orphan asylum? Suggested Amy. Did you think she looked like an orphan? How does an orphan look? Giggled Amy. I don't know any except the Molly Mickford kind in the movies. And they are always too appealing for words. Somehow she didn't look like that, admitted Jessie. She fought hard. I believe I would have scratched that fat woman's face myself if I had been her. Anyway, she wasn't in any uniform. Don't they always put orphans in blue denim? Not always, and that girl would have looked awful in blue. She was too dark. She wasn't very well dressed, but her clothes and their colors were tasteful. Aren't you the observing kind, agreed Amy. She was dressed nicely, and those women were never guards from an institution. Oh, no. It was a private kidnapping party, I guess, said Amy. And we let it go on right under our noses and did not stop it. Oh, sighed Jessie Norwood. I'm going to tell my father about it. Amy grinned elfishly. He will tell you that you had a right under the law to stop those women and make them explain. Yes, I suppose so. But a right to do a thing and the ability to do a thing, you will likewise tell me, are two very different things. Wisdom from the young owl, laughed Amy. Well, I don't suppose, after all, it is any of our business or ever will be. The poor thing is now a captive and being borne away to the dungeon keep, whatever that is, she added, shrugging her shoulders.